Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I think many of you know me, but for those who don't, uh, my name is Eric Funston, and I'm a retired priest in this diocese. For many years, I was the rector of St. Paul's in Medina, and since retiring from that position at the end of 2018, my wife Evelyn and I have been a part of the Trinity Cathedral community. I would like to say that we are here most Sundays, but the truth is that at least half of the time I am supplying altar or pulpit ministry for some other parish that doesn't have a priest or pastor or where the resident clergy need a break. And that's sort of what I'm doing here this morning. As BJ said last week, when Advent and Christmas, Advent 4 and Christmas Eve occur on the same day, it makes for a lot of sermon prep. So to give BJ and Adrian a bit of a break, you get me this morning. <laughs> I want to thank them for the opportunity to preach and thank you for listening to me. I hope that I will have something to share with you that you will find useful or at least interesting. So I did not begin this morning uh, with Happy Christmas or Merry Christmas because despite the wreaths and the bows already here, it's not Christmas. It's not even Christmas Eve. The rest of the world may want you to think that it's Christmas. It has been since the middle of October. <laughs> but the Episcopal Church insists that it is not yet Christmas. In fact, if our gospel lesson this morning is to believed, there are still about nine months until Christmas gets here. We still have some time to wait. Wait for trees and carols and packages for festive dinners, chestnuts roasting on the open fire and that holy infant so tender and mild. We still have some of Advent season to complete. And so on this, the fourth Sunday of Advent, we focus our attention on Mary and consider not the end of her pregnancy, but its beginning, that moment when the angel Gabriel appeared to her and told her that she had been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. Visual artists, painters, and sculptors depict the stories of the Bible in many fascinating ways, and their works can often help us to explore Scripture's meaning. They can capture or suggest nuances in a story that we might miss just hearing the words. This morning I'd like to tell you about three paintings that particularly speak to me about the Annunciation and about the Virgin Mary. They are the pre-Raphaelite Dante Gabriel Rossetti's painting Ecce Ancile Domini, which means Behold the Handmaid of the Lord, which was painted in the early 1850s. The Florentine painter Sandro Botticelli's 15th century Cestello Annunciation, and a contemporary piece by the American artist John Collier. Now, in Rossetti's painting, Mary is in bed, suggesting that Gabriel came to her in an hour of darkness. The room is plain and undecorated. It could be anywhere in any era. She is wearing a simple white shift and sitting up in her bed. 
Her small rough bed is shoved up against a wall to her left, and Gabriel stands to her right. Mary is shrinking away from the angel, pressing herself up against that wall. She has fiery red hair, darkly hooded eyes, and the look on her face is confused, concerned, and almost defiant. Her right hand, resting on the covers of her bed, is clenched in a fist. The angel's right hand holds out an Easter lily, and his left hand is extended in a placating gesture, the palm down, as if he is seeking to reassure and calm the girl. Now, I love the carol that we just sang as the uh, sequence hymn, but Rossetti's painting seems to suggest that, antithetical to its lyric, Mary may not have been gentle and lowly and meekly bowing her head. Quite the contrary. He depicts her as a headstrong and willful young woman to whom Gabriel's greeting did not initially come as good news. In Rossetti's painting, the eyes of flame are not Gabriel's, they are Mary's. <laughs> and Luke describes her as perplexed, but Rossetti suggests that as in the Beatles song, this was a time of trouble for Mary. After all, what intelligent girl of 14 really wants to become pregnant? Botticelli's painting, the Annunciation, the Cestello Annunciation it is called, shows the scene as a daytime scene. Mary is portrayed as a Medici princess. She's all decked out in blue and red Renaissance robes and stands in a beautiful Florentine palace before a window overlooking a Tuscan landscape. Not a very realistic depiction, of course, since she was a first century Palestinian peasant girl, but I think that that is the point where Rossetti portrays Mary's eternity, her eternal nature, by placing her in an indistinct setting. Botticelli illustrates her timelessness by portraying her in his contemporary world. Botticelli's virgin, like Rossetti's, seems to be withdrawing from the angel. She is holding out both hands as if fending him off. And the expression on her face is frankly unreadable. While it is not fiery consternation, it is certainly not one of acceptance. As one commentator describes the painting, Botticelli has depicted Mary a moment before she answers Gabriel. She is actually trapped in a kind of eternal limbo of hesitation, unsure of how to react, whether to accept her calling. The American poet Andrew Hudgens says that Botticelli, in his great pity, lets Mary refuse, accept, refuse, and think again. Botticelli's Gabriel is kneeling before Mary in an attitude of supplication. His left hand holds the stalk of Easter lilies sort of negligently held over his shoulder while his right hand reaches out to Mary as if in pleading, in supplication. The expression on his face is one of distressed apprehension. 
You can almost hear him thinking, oh no, she's going to refuse. I'm going to have to go tell the boss that I blew it. Now, although Botticelli's Mary is older than Rossetti's, a young adult rather than an innocent teen, both artists depict the Virgin as a woman with personal agency, as an individual able to control her own life. These artists insist that Mary had a choice, that the decision to become pregnant, to carry God's child to term, and to give birth to the Savior is hers, and hers alone. They seem to be saying, in the words of Baptist preacher Jeremy Richards, could we just take a minute here to notice that before the creator of the universe impregnates Mary, an angel shows up and checks with her to make sure she is on board? The God of the universe asks permission before touching a woman's body? God waits for Mary's yes? Somewhat more poetically, contemporary English poet Malcolm Geit makes the same point in his sonnet for the Annunciation with these concluding lines. On this day, a young girl stopped to see. With open eyes and heart, she heard the voice, the promise of his glory yet to be, as time stood still for her to make a choice. Gabriel knelt, and not a feather stirred. The word himself was waiting on her word. As Anselm of Canterbury preached, he who created all things from nothing would not remake his ruined creation without Mary. Mary had personal agency, and the decision was hers. This is why the dogma of the Immaculate Conception makes no sense at all to me. This doctrine teaches that Mary was conceived without the stain of original sin, saved from sin in a different and more glorious way than the rest of us are. It asserts that Mary was prepared from before her conception or as my Aunt Mabel would have said before she was a twinkle in her father's eye. She was prepared as a vessel to be holier than any mere human being, an appropriate vessel for the incarnation of the Son of God. She's been called a living tabernacle or a new Ark of the Covenant. It seems to me that this Doctrine says that Mary was not really a person, but an object which only appeared to be an ordinary woman. If she was thus set apart from all other women and all men, for that matter, then Mary was also set up, deprived of free will and not given a choice at all. But God does not work that way. God created human beings with freedom, agency, and choice. God's nature is love, uncontrolling, non-coercive love, and God cannot violate God's own nature. 
God would not be God if he controlled or coerced anyone's free ill and free will, and God certainly wouldn't do that to the mother of God's only begotten child. Rossetti's and Botticelli's paintings of Mary highlight her identity with other human beings in all times and places, not her difference from us. And it is that which makes her important. Mary is a model of faith because she doesn't merely accept, she chooses and actively agrees to the role God invites her to play. She is extraordinary, not because she is immaculate or in some way holier than the rest of us. Mary should be venerated not as an exception, but rather as an exemplar, as the example of what can happen, of what should happen with anyone who believes in the God of hope and freedom. Mary's words of wisdom, let it be, are not a resigned sigh of submission. They are her assertion of personal agency, her claim on the right to make her own decisions, her declaration of independence. Last week, the Anglican Diocese of Brisbane, Australia, installed a new archbishop, the Most Reverend Jeremy Greaves. In his inaugural sermon, Archbishop Greaves said, Christian hope invites those under its influence to see possibility in everything. Nothing, not even the deepest darkness, is outside the possibility of transformation. It seems to me that we have a choice in this season. We can bow down to, in fear before the many idols we have created, or we can help one another learn to walk in the dark. In our hour of darkness, Mary is standing right in front of us, speaking her words of wisdom, let it be, encouraging each of us to make our choice, to agree to our calling, whatever it may be. The English mystic Evelyn Underhill said that Christ is born in our souls for a purpose beyond ourselves, and we have got to get on with it, to be useful. Rossetti and Botticelli help us to see that Mary is our model. The God of hope and freedom favors each of us and like Mary, like plain old ordinary Mary, we have personal agency. We have the power to choose and like Mary, we can choose to get on with it, to be useful, to help others walk in the dark, to change the world. I said there were three paintings. The third I want to tell you about is by contemporary artist John Collier. His Annunciation hangs in the narthex of St. Gabriel Roman Catholic Church in McKinney, Texas. Collier portrays Mary as a young schoolgirl dressed in a blue and white parochial school uniform. She has dark hair pulled into a simple ponytail. She is wearing white bobby socks and saddle oxfords, one of which is untied. As the angel Gabriel approaches her, she is on the porch of a modern suburban tract home, as if coming home from school, and she is reading a book, 
like Rossetti, Collier underscores Mary's youth. Like Botticelli, he portrays her timelessness by setting her in his contemporary frame. But this painting is brilliant because it resurrects a medieval convention abandoned in the other two paintings. Countless paintings of the Annunciation from the early and middle, middle ages show Mary studying a book, either the Psalms or the prophet Isaiah, as Gabriel interrupts her. Sometime during the Renaissance, many artists like Botticelli and later Rossetti stopped including the Virgin's book, and Collier has brought it back. It is a visual pun based on the multiple meanings of the verb to conceive, a polysemy present in biblical Greek and ecclesiastical Latin as well as in English. The book points to Mary as a scholar, theologian, visionary, and contemplative conceiving Christ intellectually and spiritually through her study before conceiving him physically. Collier's Mary and her medieval precursors enable and encourage all Christians to read and interpret scripture for ourselves and to conceive Christ in our hearts, our minds, and our spirits. The 13th century German mystic Meister Eckhart said, we are all meant to be mothers of God. What good is it to me if this eternal birth of the divine son takes place unceasingly, but does not take place within myself? And what good is it to me if Mary is full of grace, if I am also not full of grace? And what good is it to me for the creator to give birth to his son if I do not also give birth to him in my time and culture. This then is the fullness of time when the Son of Man is begotten in us. Again, Mary is our model. Through our study, contemplation, prayer, and action, we can choose to conceive and bear the word. Christ comes again in and through us. It's not yet Christmas. It's still the fourth Sunday of Advent. And so we focus our attention on Mary, an ordinary young woman who made an extraordinary choice and became the example of world-changing faith. She is standing right in front of us, speaking words of wisdom, words of freedom, words of personal agency and choice. Let it be. Amen.